good to be with you. Um, for those of you who I have met, I'm glad to be back. For those who I have not met, um, looking forward to it. And thank you, Aaron, and thank you for this church doing the compassion experience. Uh, my husband, my family, and I have three compassion kids, one in Uganda, one in the Dominican Republic, one in Haiti. And it has uh, really changed our lives to know how these kids live. I've been actually in Colorado Springs to Compassion's headquarters and walked through it. And so um, it is really an extraordinary thing. And I think I didn't leave feeling guilty, but I left feeling responsible, responsible to listen and to learn and to understand somebody else's living experience. So I'm grateful to the Highlands and to use this beautiful building. This is my first time in the building. So the last time I was with many of you, we were still in the high school. So it's been about a month and a half. So congratulations to the Highlands and to all of you who did so much hard work to birth this beautiful place that I believe God's glory will reign here and many sons and daughters will be brought to glory here. So thanks, Aaron, for being my friend and brother um, in this work. So we're in a series called um, Before I Go, lessons and, uh, that we listen to in terms of the last sayings of Jesus. So I'm sure Aaron has preached from this, and I've been in a couple of other, the Aspen Grove churches. And today I have the honor and the privilege of preaching from a portion of scripture that many of you know, but I think is really oftentimes one, misunderstood and challenging for us to live out. And so today my message for you is before I go lessons on discipleship from Matthew 28. So I have the privilege of talking about discipleship. You know, I think sometimes discipleship is one of those things that is really misunderstood, and I think for a number of reasons. One, sometimes we talk about discipleship almost synonymously with evangelism. The two go hand in hand, but they are a little bit different. Evangelism is really when we are used of God to plant seeds of faith in people that may not know Christ or maybe are far from Christ. It is the initial interaction of sharing Christ with people. Discipleship is the growing up. Discipleship is making uh, soldiers in the army of the Lord, right? The discipleship is the work that we do, that once people come into the house of the Lord and come into the kingdom, it's about saying, now what do we do? And I think a lot of us don't really understand or under, know discipleship because I would say there was a season in the, in the church where people weren't discipling. I can tell you that when I first came to Christ, I wasn't discipled. What people saw was gifting and they put me to work. So I gave my life to Christ, and I surrendered, and I was baptized, but then I was put to work. No one really did any kind of uh, work with me in terms of introspection. Where had I been? Had I ever suffered church hurt? What were the sinful things in my life? Where had I suffered from things? Where was there unforgiveness? In other words, was there a big brother or sister in the church that would help walk with me so that they could help me determine where are the places where my growth is going to be hindered if I don't heal? And that's really the purpose of discipleship. It's not simply packing the room. It's growing us up once we're in the room. Amen? And there's a lot of us that were like, well, man, when I think about it, I don't know if I was ever discipled. I mean, I became a deacon or I got to work or I did things. But if we survey the church in the world, man, there's a lot of us. There's a lot of people who are faithful and dutiful believers but have pain in their hearts or in their lives. And sometimes our busyness just gives us an opportunity not to examine those things. But how many of you know we're not going to really be full-throttle Christians? We're not going to do the hard work of going to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth if we aren't discipled. 
if we don't grow up into all things, even unto Christ. And so that's what I want to share with you today is kind of how do we demystify discipleship, but how do we also equip ourselves to be disciplers? As I launch in, or before I launch into this portion of scripture that I'm preaching from, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, I want to encourage you to go to the very beginning of Matthew, um, chapter 28. In fact, I want you to read the last um, 10 verses of Matthew 27, and then go all the way in and starting at, at verse 1 of Matthew 28, I want you to all read all the way through verse 15, and here's why. Because it sets up this portion of scripture for us to understand what discipleship is all about, and even helps us to understand some of the hindrances to discipleship. So in other words, when you start looking at this portion of Scripture in Matthew 27 and 28, you'll find that we encounter uh, the, the tomb and we encounter the disciples right after Jesus has been crucified. He's been in the tomb. Mary and others are going to the tomb to actually see the body of Jesus and what we find is that there has been a great earthquake and that there is an angel sitting on the stone and the stone has been rolled away, just like we, sent, we heard the song. And it says to us that while they were amazed, the soldiers who had been sent by the godly people, by the Pharisees and the Sadducees to stand uh, guard to make sure that the disciples, these little guys, were not going to roll away a one-ton stone that those individuals, it says, dropped as if they were dead. It means the power of God in that moment was so miraculous that they had seen the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They had heard as they stood mocking those who were desperate for Jesus. They heard that in three days he was going to be raised. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees mocked him and called him a deceiver. Two punches Pilate and said, put the stone in front and put some guards there because we don't want him to have to have his deception be worse the second time than the first. In other words, those Pharisees and Sadducees knew that what they saw in Jesus was authentic and real, but they did not want it to be true. Brothers and sisters, when you walk out your faith in Jesus Christ, there are going to be people who can see Jesus in you and on you and don't want it to be true. And so they're going to find ways and excuses and means, even if it's your own family, to want to keep a stone in front of your testimony rather than for it to be rolled away and for the living Jesus to be alive in you. So I want you to think about as you read that, look at the hindrances and look at the ways that they tried to stop the testimony of Jesus going forward. It says that the, the disciples uh, were encouraged and they were waiting after the women went to them. But do you know that the, the um, soldiers who had fallen as dead men ran into the city and told others what had happened and they were bribed they were told don't go don't tell anyone about this miraculous thing that you've seen we'll give you hush money just act like it never happened brothers and sisters we just celebrated easter how many of you know when you look at your own life before jesus and after jesus there's no denying what happened there's no denying that jesus came into your life and rolled some stones away and rolled some things away i can tell you in my life i'm a living testimony i can tell you in my own life i've seen some things and witnessed some things and the person who i was before jesus the church going girl who sat in pews but did not know the savior is a whole different woman than the one that is standing before you right now and that is only because of the goodness of Jesus Christ and because I choose to obey him. Because I don't want to sit idly by and hope that somehow through osmosis, people will find out about Jesus. How many of you know if the world's going to be changed, it's up to us? 
We are the modern-day disciples, and so God is calling us to this. So as you see this juxtaposition, as you read that first part of Matthew 28, I want you to pay attention to the dynamics of what is happening between Mary and others who are leaving the tomb because Jesus is raised, and then the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the soldiers bribing them to say, don't say anything, and then we see this point in Scripture. This point where, against all odds, despite this filibuster, we see the 11 disciples go to Galilee. And so here we have Matthew 28, 16 through 20, which says, Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Now remind yourself, why were there 11 and not 12 disciples? Where was the 12th disciple? Judas had already killed himself. Judas was gone. That is why they say 11 instead of 12 disciples. So the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Somebody say obedience. Okay, say it like you mean it. Okay, obedience is half the battle of our walk with Jesus. A lot of us will hear the gospel, but we don't want to obey when we're told to go somewhere. Any of you ever had felt like the Holy Spirit was telling you to go pray for someone? You're like, "Uh uh-uh. That's for somebody else to do. That's for the super spiritual people. You are super spiritual. You need to go, right? It's obedience. Half of our battle that we have to get past is that when God asks us to do some stuff, and he will, that seems crazy to the world, know that it is edifying in the spirit. When you're walking with Jesus, he's going to ask you to do some things that aren't comfortable. But how many of you know that the cross has no smooth edges? The cross is not about our comfort. The cross is about our liberation and not simply our liberation, but the liberation of the whole world. How many of you know that our cities, our nation, our high schools need to be liberated? Some of our friends, how kids, how many of you know your high schools need to be liberated? Man, if Jesus was allowed in our schools, we need to partner with our with the people who are in our schools to pray, to pray for our coaches, to pray for our teachers, to pray for the Christians that are in our schools, that Christ would be glorified for Young Life, an organization that I've run, or Campus Crusade or other places. We've got to lift up the name of Jesus, even when it is uncomfortable, for the sake of one who does not know, for the sake of one who is struggling. So we've got to go. And when they saw him, because they were obedient, they worshiped him but some doubted. Let's ask ourselves, why did some doubt when they saw Jesus? Talk back to me. Why did they doubt? Why did they doubt? Why would you have doubted after the crucifixion? Would any of you have doubted that what you were seeing was real after you saw the crucifixion? So some of them doubted because they're like, we saw what they did. We saw his body broken. We saw him whipped. We were terrified. Peter almost cursed a little girl for trying to say you were with him. They saw the broken body of Jesus. They held his broken body. Some of them dragged him down and the women anointed his body. They wrapped him and put him in the tomb. They paid for the tomb. Some of us brothers and sisters have seen the miracles of God, but there are seasons of doubt. And I want to encourage somebody in this room right now that if you're ever in a place where you're doubting, it does not mean that you're not a good Christian. Doubt sometimes is just a matter of you saying, Lord, I need a little bit more. Sometimes hurt or pain or things that we experience in our lives make us say to God, are you really real? 
like, God, if you're real, then why did I experience this? Or why is this happening in the world? Doubt is a reality of most healthy believers because if we don't ever doubt or have questions, it means that we're falling asleep to a little bit. It's like having a Charlie horse or it's like our leg is falling asleep. Sometimes you got to punch that thing and make it wake up. Otherwise, you can't walk. Don't let your faith fall asleep simply because you have doubts or questions. Don't get sleepy on Jesus in an hour when he needs us most. And this is what he's saying to them. He came to them and he said, all authority, every single bit of it, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Jesus saying, I have authority over this grave because I'm standing in front of you. I have authority over those Sadducees and Pharisees who called me a fake. I have authority over the darkness. I have authority over that cross. I have authority over all of it. And because I have authority, I am bequeathing unto you my authority. You do not, we do not go into the world of discipleship alone. Jesus Christ, through his Holy Spirit and by his power, goes with us to give us courage and strength and wisdom and revelation that we would not have on our own. So he said, because all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything, not some things, not the comfortable things, everything. Teach them forgiveness. Teach them to obey. Teach them not to curse people. Teach them to love their neighbor as themselves. Teach them to obey the word. Teach them to study to show themselves. I want you to teach them everything. Everything, disciples, I've taught you in the last three years, I want you to download it into them. And he said, surely I'm with you to the end of the age. What Jesus has revealed to us here are the foundations of discipleship. That we need to go to all nations that means for some of us, maybe your nation, maybe Jerusalem right here for some of you is Delano. Maybe the ends of the earth for you is the north side of Minneapolis. But what if God said to you, I want you to go to the north side of Minneapolis? You'd be like, uh-uh. But can I tell you that some of us are sent to different places and it's not about our comfort. It's about the cross that we carry. Can I tell you if I didn't die to my own self? I'm not necessarily sure that I would have taken leaps of faith that would have put me in places like this. The community I live in, who raised me, is completely different. But how many of you know when you're free in Jesus Christ, it's not about me anymore. It's about brothers and sisters in Christ. Guys, we're family. Hello, I'm the sister no one talks about. Yeah, we're family. Save a place for me. We're having brunch, right, for Mother's Day afterwards. I'll be right over. Right, save a space at the table for me and for others. What if God sent you to the ends of the earth? What if God sent you to a place of discomfort? Is there enough yes in you to say yes to him? Is there enough yes in you to walk with somebody and say yes? Yeah, he's like, uh-uh. <laughs> he's like, I ain't. I know, baby, I'm with you. Listen, the reality is there are times when our flesh says no, but when our flesh says yes by the power of the Holy Spirit, somebody's life has changed. Some of you know, many of you don't, that I was at Bethel University for 14 years as the campus pastor. If I would have, as I've said before, looked at that opportunity with natural eyes, I would have never applied. Why? Everybody's Johnsons, Olsons, Swensons. <laughs> 
99% of the kids did not look like me. This is who I preach to Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. If I would have looked with natural eyes, I would have said, they're not going to accept me. I don't look like them. They don't look like me. We don't come from the same place. We don't come from the same town. But how many of you know when you close your eyes and listen to the voice of the Spirit, you stop making the natural assumptions and excuses, and you start to say, Lord, what are you asking me? I want to be a deeper believer. I want to be a better Christian. I want to be a transformer of the culture around me. And I remember the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, do you love me? And I said, yes, Lord. Will you serve my people? Yes, Lord. Then I want you to go. And I can tell you that those were some of the best years of ministry of my life. Some of the sweetest young people, including Judd, who was playing the keyboard, is one of my kids. The young man on the drums, one of my kids. So it doesn't matter when we don't look like each other in the natural. I want to look like you in the spiritual. Is there enough in you in the spirit for me to want to emulate? Is there enough in me? Is there enough grace of God, enough power? When you're in pain, can you call me and I'll pray for you until we get a prayer through? That is what it means to be a disciple. Not simply showing up, but showing up in power, in authority, with strength, with belief that the one who was raised from the dead is alive in us. And therefore, we're going to go even when our knees are knocking and we're terrified. Terrified of the what if, because the greater one is on the inside of us. He said he'd be with them to the end of the age. So what does this mean? Some of us would ask, like I've been asked, well, wasn't that command just for the disciples? I mean, those 11 guys, not us. I mean, if Jesus was speaking to his disciples, shouldn't discipleship just be called for those called to the mission field? I mean, I'm not called to go to all nations. Isn't that just their job? Or shouldn't it be for the pastors like Aaron? Yeah, that's Aaron's job. Aaron can go do it. Aaron can go to the ends of the earth because, you know, he's a pastor and he's done all the churchy stuff. So Aaron can go. Or is it for those evangelists, those people who just are super excited about sharing Jesus with someone? Yes, and. Yes, there are people who are called missionaries who have given their entire lives to study or to go abroad and to live their lives sharing the gospel with all nations. You're right. And yes, it's for those of us who are pastors who are called to establish churches and ensure that people grow up to be strong, healthy Christians. Yes. And it is for those evangelists to share Christ, young men like Nick Hall and Pulse Movement, which I'm a part of, to share the gospel with a young generation. And it is for you and I, brothers and sisters who have been saved by grace through faith, who know what it is to be lost and found, who know what it is to be transformed by the gospel. So yes, it's for them and, dear brothers, it's for us As Christians and someone who has been discipled, it is a part of the call on our lives to share Jesus with all that we meet. And therefore, we're joining the work of the evangelist, of the pastor, of the discipler to be able to make disciples of all nations. So what is a disciple? A disciple is essentially one who engages in learning through the instruction of another. For those of you who have ever watched track or ran track, it is about passing the spiritual baton. 
It's about giving people something to grab a hold of in the spirit. And it's about teaching people how to run. It's about being coaches. Any of you coaches in here or ever coached a sport? You know then what it's like to have to help somebody learn how to stretch out their gait, how to be able to be more efficient in their swing. A discipler is a supernatural spiritual coach that helps people grow up in the things of God. A disciple is a dedicated follower, an adherent to the imitate and being an imitator of the life and teachings. But look at that last one. Look at that last one. A disciple is a living copy of the master. When you look at the life of Jesus Christ when you're studying the scripture, and then you look at how you're walking your life out, are you willing to say, Lord, I want to be a living copy of the master? That seems like a heavy call, doesn't it? Jesus, you want me to forgive people? You want me to trust that miracles happen? You want me to to go and to share my life with individuals? You want me to practice Sabbath? You want me to go away and be quiet before the Lord and receive instruction? You want me to sacrifice my life in the natural? You want me to lay my life down for my friends because you said greater love has no man than this and to lay his life down for his friends? You want me to sacrifice to that level? Yeah, he does. He wants us where we are with what we have to be faithful and obedient to be able to cheer people on, pass the baton, coach people, raise them up, and teach them how to be imitators of the master. Guys, I want to be an imitator of the master as much as I fail. I want to be an imitator of the master. I want my love, my love for people to not stop at my own community's borders. I want my love for people to extend that I'll pray and fast when someone's hurting. I want Jesus to be shown in and through my life. I want you to see him before you see me. I want you to see him in and through me, and I want to see him in and through you. And God, help us. The world is desperate to see imitators of the master somewhere around us. So what does that take for us to be a discipler? or to be a disciple. Three things that we need, I believe, to be an effective disciple. In order for us to be imitators of the master, here are three things that I have found in my own life to be essential and even getting close to being an imitator of my king and my savior and my Lord. The first is that you have got to be free indeed. John 8.32 says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. How many of you know that when you're free, it means you're unencumbered, unhindered, not worried, not stressed, not looking to the left and the right, not looking for people's affirmation of you, but freedom, like being able to fly, like having supernatural wings. When you know the truth, that Jesus Christ's sufferings on the cross and his being raised from the dead and sitting at the right hand of the Father is, is to empower you, that he is still reigning with all power in his hand, that every angel in heaven is subject to his voice, that he is available to you and for you. When you are free, there is nothing that you will not do or at least try. And when I was in the world, I tried a lot of things for the world. 
But how many of you know too many of us have tried things for the world and we haven't even given a tenth of what we did for the world to Jesus? Not even a tenth of it. What if you were crazy free for Jesus? I mean, unhindered and unashamed, not caring. Young people, what if you didn't care what people thought of you in your high school? What if you walked through your school? What if you were at CU at the poll? What if you prayed? What if you laid hands on people? What if you dared take back your school and make it the school that you want? Stop waiting for other people to do it. The living one is on the inside of you. He's on the inside of me. And one plus God is a majority, said Martin Luther. That means one can chase a thousand as well and two can put 10,000 to flight. That means that if we really made up our minds to walk in freedom, no devil in hell could destroy your family. No legion of enemies or angels could come against you. So I pray in the name of Jesus for any of you who are not walking in freedom to be free today in the name of Jesus. What's hindering you from complete freedom? Is it unforgiveness? Is it anger? Is it busyness? Is it frustration? Is it stuff that you had to deal with in the way that you were raised? God help us to be free and freed by the truth. Not alcohol, not drugs, not things that come through our computers. Those things are temporary emotional highs, but that is not freedom. Freedom comes from the truth, and Jesus is the truth. Number two, you've got to study the word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, do your best to present yourself to God. As one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and correctly handles the word of truth. Do you know how many years that I read that, but I spent too much of my time trying to study to show myself approved to people? The scripture says study to show yourself approved unto God. God is your only judge, not people. Oh, I know Greek. I know Hebrew. Oh, I have a doctorate. Who cares? All of those trappings mean nothing if I can't walk in love, if I don't have that 1 Corinthians love that's patient, that's kind, that's loving, that keeps no record of wrongs. Study to show yourself approved as a worker who does not need to be ashamed and correctly handles the word of truth. In other words, that means that there is a wrong way to handle the word of truth. How many of you know we shouldn't be using the word of truth as a stick to hit people with or as a word of condemnation? but we ought to be using the perfect law of liberty, which is the word of God to set people free and to grow them up in Jesus. Third thing, you need to have hope in God. The word of God says some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but I will trust in the name of the Lord my God. I mean, brothers and sisters, some of us need to close our eyes and we need to take a leap of faith and we need to hope in God because when everyone else and everything else fails you, Jesus is the only one who will never fail you. He's a cry away from a response. People will make you crazy, amen? Church folk will make you run into the the darkness and never come out. People, because we are hurting, will hurt other people. But Jesus, when you just cry out, when you give your sacrifice of praise to him with tears running down your face, when you say, God, I do, and I'll give you my life over and over and over again, he will make things happen in your life. I promise you, it is not my degree. It is not my experience. And I've been through hell and I've seen people. I've seen people demon-possessed. I've seen people after they've taken their own lives. I've seen the darkness. But the darkness is nothing when the light shows up. The light needs to show up in us. 
final words to you. Romans 12, 1 and 2 from the Message Bible says this. Okay, what are we supposed to do, Pastor Laura? Okay, so you told us that we need to be a living copy of the master. You said that we need to walk in freedom, study to know this word, and hope in God, among other things. So we all now have the so what and the now what. Here's the so what. Romans 12 says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Some of you need to do this. God, I'm giving it all to you. I'm giving you my job, my family, my mental and emotional health, my brokenness, my heart, my desire, and I'm laying it before you at this altar. It says embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. In other words, God wants to do a new thing in you, and that's what he wants you to embrace. He wants you to embrace that freedom. He doesn't want you to be so caught up in what people think about you that you don't have any freedom. It says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you, fix, you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out in other words, discipleship and the making of disciples, guys, is an inside-out work. So many of us as Christians, we look at people and we think, well, you look good. I mean, you're a great-looking family, so you must be fine. In the side, we're hurting. How many people have you ever looked at? And they look great, but inside, they're hurting. Inside, they just had a family feud. Inside, there's all kind of havoc that is being wreaked. That is why we've got to be people of the Spirit, so that when you look at people, you're looking past the flesh, and you're saying, uh-uh. Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? When you show up with the Spirit of the living God, people will see Jesus. And when they see Jesus in you, they're going to want more of Jesus. And you can bring them to the house and you can help them say, I'm not the master discipler here, but there are people who are. And put their hand in the hand of a coach here at the Highlands so that they can grow up and get healed and get delivered and get set free so they can get back out there and get somebody else. Are y'all hearing me? This is a team huddle. Are y'all feeling it? Come on, this is go time. This is go time like we have never seen before. We've got to readily know what Jesus wants from us and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around us, always dragging us down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best in us and develops well-formed maturity in you. Well-formed maturity is disciples. Now, some of you might be feeling like, hey, Laurel, I, I get that. Sounds like a great idea in theory, but I'm having a hard enough time just holding on to Jesus myself. I understand, brother. I understand, sister, but keep pressing. Keep going. Keep fighting. Keep standing. Keep praying. Do the things he asked you to do, and he'll push you through. Finally, Matthew 6, 20, 16, 24 through 26 says, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. For what good will it be someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? Listen, brothers and sisters, there is a season where the enemy is going to come back for us and everything that is shiny and glittery is going to have some people walk away from this faith. But don't you hold uh, on to this world. Don't you walk away from the king who gave his life from you. 
Don't you let light and momentary sufferings keep you from being a discipler. Mothers, you are disciplers. This is a day that we're celebrating you and our mother's past and our mother's present and our mother's future who held on to us. And I want you to hold on to others like your mother and others held on to you. And if you didn't have a mother hold on to you, I want you to hear that God says, when your mother and father forsake you, I will draw you to myself. You have a God who loves you and knows you, and he needs us to love each other. Wildly, passionately, committedly, he needs us to be imitators of him so that somebody who would rather choose natural death and forever be separated from the king can know something about eternal life. It's go time, guys. And so this is my prayer, that rather than fearing discipleship, we would embrace it. Rather than fearing Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and the ends of the earth, we'd map it out and we'd say, Lord, if you send me, I'll go. Rather than wondering and fearing about us versus them, we would go from the me to the we. Rather than wondering whether or not you've got it in you, you don't need to worry about you because Jesus has already put it on the inside of you. Listen, I'm standing here today and I drove here today because it doesn't matter how I feel or what I think. It matters that we're family, and I love you and choose to love you, and I hope you'll do the same for me, and I hope that you will get some energy out of that love, and you'll go out and look for somebody who's got death on their door and tell them that Jesus is still saving, still setting free, still delivering, and it's time to make disciples. God, do it in us, we pray. Make us a courageous, bold people that we will make disciples and see the world change for Jesus. In Jesus' name and all who would agree would say, amen. amen.